all across America and around the world. This is Veterans Radio. This is Veterans Radio. Welcome to Veterans Radio. I am Jim Fawson. I'm the officer of the deck today. We've got some great programs for you. I think you'll find very interesting. We always want to remind you, you can find more about Veterans Radio at its Facebook site or by going to veteransradio.net where we're on the web 24-7. You can find a lot of our podcasts there as well. We post new ones every Tuesday, so you can get a new story, a new interview, something you didn't know before by going to veteransradio.net. And before we get started, we want to thank our sponsors. First up, we want to thank National Veteran Business Development Council, nvbdc.org. It was established to certify both service-disabled and veteran-owned businesses. You'll find out how they can help your business by going to nvbdc.org. We also want to thank Eisenhower Center. It's a brain injury recovery center. Learn more about eisenhowercenter.com. They're located in Michigan and in Florida. We want to thank Legal Help for Veterans. Legal Help for Veterans fights for veterans' disability rights all across the nation. You can reach them at 800-693-4800 or on the web at legalhelpforveterans.com. We want to thank VetBiz Central, which is part of the U.S. Small Business Association, VBOC, Vet Business Outreach Centers. VetBiz Central covers Michigan, Indiana, and Ohio, and can be reached at vetbizcentral.org. Let's move on to our programs. We're talking today with our new Amateur historian here on Veterans Radio, Joe Nusendorfer. Joe, welcome to Veterans Radio, and tell us a little bit about yourself. Thanks, Jim. Uh, I have been a, a historian for 50 years. I've written hundreds of history articles on various subjects, curated local history exhibits, and lectured on such subjects as architecture, engineering, surveying, and early Native Americans. My interest in military science stems from my service as a USA Air Force veteran. And a keen interest in specialized subculture language and professional experience in communicating technical information. Joe, what uh, military slang term are you going to explain to us today? Today's term is sort of interesting. It's called a cup of Joe, uh, which commonly describes, describes a cup of coffee. There is a great body of historical information pointing to a, to a military origin for this term. As the story goes, the phrase has been in wider use since World War I, and that the original term coined by sailors in the U.S. Navy was actually a cup of Joseph Daniels. It was meant by Swabies as an insult to leadership. Over time, it became simply a cup of Joe. Josephus Daniels was secretary to the U.S. Navy under President Woodrow Wilson. Looking to impose stricter moral standards on naval life, He made changes in 1914, like increasing the number of chaplains, cracking down on prostitution at naval bases, and banning alcohol. In his biography of Daniels, author Lee A. Craig explains how 
this last decision led to the creation of the slang term as a substitute. Stewards increased their purchase of coffee, among other beverages, writes Craig in his book, Josephus Daniels, His Life and Times. This term's origin, crediting Daniels as its detractors among some historians, who have a theory that coffee became known as Joe because Joe itself is a slang term for a common fellow guy or chap. So this common Joe leaves you it up to you to do further research with your friends over a cup of Joe. Hey, thanks, Joe. And I think that, uh, I'm going to go get a cup of coffee. And I think we, <laughs> I think we all learned to drink that, you know, hot, black, awful coffee somewhere in the military. So Absolutely. thanks for thanks for uh, giving us a little history lesson today. You bet. Hey, Joe, what military slang term do you have for us today? Today's military slang term is Mustang. No, we are not talking about a sporty car. Mustang is a military slang term used in the U.S. Armed Services that refers to a commissioned officer who began his or her career as an enlisted, non-commissioned service person prior to being commissioned as an officer. Mustang officers are generally older and theoretically more experienced than their peers in grade who have entered the military via commissioning from one of the service academies, according to Wikipedia. The original definition of Mustang was a military officer who had earned a battlefield commission. They were especially prevalent during World War II and the Korean War. A Mustang is characterized by former enlisted service prior to transitioning to officer rank. As a military slang term, there is no official U.S. government definition or set of criteria to determine which officer can properly be called a Mustang, as the term varies in usage and criteria from service to service. By the end of World War II, it was understood across the armed services that a Mustang was an officer with service in the enlisted ranks before commissioning. The slang term refers to the Mustang horse, a feral or wild animal, and therefore not a thoroughbred. A Mustang, after being captured, can be tamed and saddle-broken, but it always has a bit of wild streak and can periodically revert to its old ways unexpectedly, and therefore the owner needs to keep an eye on it at all times. However, since a Mustang was formerly a wild and free animal, it may be very well be more smarter, more capable, and have better survival instinct than the thoroughbreds. A notable Mustang officer was William McKinley, 1843 to 1901. He enlisted as a private in the Union Army in 1861. Promoted to the rank of sergeant, he then received a battlefield commission for valor under the fire at the Battle of Antietam and mustered out of the Army as a major. Subsequently, he became the 25th President of the United States. Other noteworthy Mustangs were Audie Murphy, 1925-1971. He was the most decorated soldier in World War II. Staff Sergeant Murphy received a battlefield commission in France in 1944. Subsequently, he became an actor. He received the Medal of Honor and later held a major's commission in the U.S. National Guard. Another famous Mustang is Chuck Yeager, 1923 to 2020. He just died last year. He enlisted in the U.S. Army Air Forces in 1941 and began as an aircraft mechanic. 
He soon entered pilot training and served as an officer upon receiving his wings. He later, later earned a commission as a second lieutenant and was a noted combat pilot during World War II and as a test pilot during the post-war area. To include being the first to successfully exceed the speed of sound, he retired from the U.S. Air Force as a Brigadier General in 1975. Another famous Mustang that we can recall from recent political um, discussions is Tulsi Gabbard, born in 1981, currently a major in the Hawaii National Guard and representing the 2nd Congressional District in the U.S. House of Representatives. She enlisted as a medical specialist with the 29th Infantry Brigade Support Battalion of the Hawaii National Guard, serving a 12-month deployment in Iraq in 2004. Commissioned as an officer in March 2007, she then deployed to Iraq for a second tour of duty with the 29th Brigade Special Troops Battalion of the Hawaii Na Army National Guard as the military police platoon leader in January 2019. In January 2019, she began a campaign for U.S. President. So let's give a veterans radio salute to all of our Mustangs, past, present, and future. You know, Joe, I've known a lot of Mustangs. A lot of them muster out as majors because they have their time in and both enlisted in an officer corps and they hit the 25-year mark. But everybody yeah. who I ever have known who's been a Mustang is pretty damn proud of it, and they should be, shouldn't they? Absolutely, absolutely. Joe, thanks for bringing us this information today. Hey, Joe, what uh, military slang term are you going to explain to us today? Well, Jim, today's military subject is dog tags. Dog tag is an informal term for a specific type of identification tag worn by military personnel. The tag's primary use is for the identification of casualties. Such, as such, they have information about the personnel written on them and convey essential basic medical information, such as blood type and history of inoculations. They often indicate religious preferences as well. Dog tags, dog, dog tags are usually made of a corrosion-resistant metal. They commonly contain two copies of the information, either in the form of a single tag that can be broken in half or as two identical tags on the same chain. This purposeful duplication allows one tag or half tag to be collected from a personnel's deceased body for notification, while the duplicate remains with the body if the conditions of battle prevent it from being immediately recovered. The term arose and became popular because of the tags resemblance to animal registration tags. The earliest mention of an identification tag for soldiers comes to us from the ancient Spartans who wrote their names on sticks tied to their left wrists. Additionally, the Romans had a specific kind of soldier identification at the moment of enrollment. The legionary identification was a lead disc with a leather string worn around the neck with the name of the recruit and the indication of the legion of which he, he was a crew part of. During the American Civil War, some soldiers pinned paper notes with their names and home addresses to the backs of their coats. Other soldiers stenciled an identification on their knapsacks or scratched it in the soft lead backing of their military belt buckle. Manufacturers of identification badges, good old Yankee ingenuity, recognized the market and began advertising in periodicals. Their pins were usually shaped to suggest a branch of service 
and engraved with the soldier's name and unit. Machine stamp tags were also made of brass or lead with a hole and usually had on one side an eagle or shield and such phrases as war for the union or liberty, union and equality. The other side had the soldier's name and unit and sometimes a list of battles in which he had participated. The U.S. Army first authorized identification tags in War Department General Order Number 204, dated December 20, 1906, which essentially prescribed basic information. It was dubbed the Kennedy Identification Tag, named after Brigadier General Kennard R. Will Wiggins, Jr. The U.S. Army changed regulations on July 6, 1916, so that all soldiers were issued two tags, one to stay with the body and the other to go to the person in charge of the burial for record-keeping purposes. In 1918, the U.S. Army adopted and allotted the service number system, and the name and service numbers were ordered stamped on the identification tags. In closing, most military veterans, even when the tags were eventually lost or mis misplaced, still remember their service number because of the tags we had hanging around our necks for years. Mine was Joe Neusendorfer, United States Air Force, number 1758739, and I'm signing off. Joe, thanks for that information. And I gotta say, if you you know if you've got to rummaging around, don't lose your dog tags and don't lose your grandfather's dog tags or your father's dog tags. I just uh, my dad was a Navy vet in World War II, um, and we were just going through some of his materials, and we found his dog tag, which doesn't look like anything like the dog tags, shape, color, of today. Um, and that's what kind of makes it so, so special that uh, they are unique historical family records. It's absolutely true. So thanks for bringing us this information. Hope we've inspired some people to find and keep and display properly uh, the dog tags that their families have earned. Thanks, Joe. Sorry. I hope you enjoyed these military slang discussions. We're recording some more of them with our veterans radio historian, Joe Nussendorfer veteran from the United States Air Force and all-around good guy. So uh, listen for some more of these in the future from Joe, and thank you for listening to Veterans Radio. And I want to thank everybody for listening to Veterans Radio today. I am Jim Fossone. It's been a pleasure to be your host. I'm a veterans disability lawyer at Legal Help for Veterans, and you can reach us at 800-693-4800 or legalhelpforveterans.com on the web. You can follow Veterans Radio on Facebook and listen to its podcasts and Internet radio shows by going to veteransradio.net. And until next time, you are dismissed. If you have a VA claim denied by the Board of Veterans' Appeals, contact Legal Help for Veterans at 1-800-693-4800. They're experts in handling cases before the U.S. Court of Appeals for Veterans' Claims. Their number again, 1-800-693-4800. We again want to thank our national sponsors, the National Veterans Business Development Council, NVBDC.org, the U.S. Small Business Administration Veterans Business Outreach Center, Eisenhower Center, VA Ann Arbor Health Care System, the Vietnam Veterans of America, Charles S. Kettles Chapter, Ann Arbor, Michigan, VFW Graf O'Hara Post 423 in Ann Arbor, 
and the American Legion Press Corn Post 46, also in Ann Arbor. They keep us on the air, as does your support. Go to Facebook, go to veteransradio.net, and support our efforts. And until next time, you are dismissed.